0: Welcome back to Yang Daily. I'll be your host, Alex Cheney, bringing you all the Yang news you need to live your life right. We've got a lot to get through on the wisdom of regulations, work requirements, and the CTC, and I'm very pressed for time at the moment, so let's not waste any and get right to it. Quick shout out to our Tier 3 patrons, Shay Mian and Nathan Stankowski, as well as all our other patrons. You keep us all informed and engaged. If any of you out there want to join these advocates of humanity first and independent journalism, head on over to patreon.com slash yangdaily. It would only take a couple of bucks a month from each listener to keep this podcast and community going and growing into the future. Now, on to the news. The crew of the International Space Station spent some time huddled in their re-entry pod this morning. Why? Because Russia blew up one of their own satellites in a missile test, shattering the satellite into a cloud of 1,500 pieces of high-speed shrapnel orbiting the Earth and possibly intersecting the path of the ISS. This blows my mind, no pun intended. We already have an orbital debris problem threatening to lock us out of orbit if chain collisions should occur, and what are the superpowers doing? Deliberately throwing gas on the flame. I mean, if you want to defend against satellites, why not just make space uninhabitable for them, right? Problem solved. Will we ever stop hitting each other with clubs long enough to ensure our survival as a species, or do we even deserve to? Adding to last episode's supply chain discussion, I ran across a very important article about how deregulation of shipping in the Clinton era took the industry from a resilient public utility to a profit-consumed business plagued by monopolies that cut service, raised prices, ditched backups, and helped set us up for this pandemic fail. There's too much to cover in detail, but the gist is this. The Shipping Act of 1916 was a set of regulations for the shipping industry that kept the U.S. humming along for the better part of a century. Under the Act, all prices and deals had to be public and transparent, exporters and importers could all get the same terms, transporters were not allowed to undermine competitors, competition was protected and monopolies prevented, the shipping load was distributed among many U.S. ports, a U.S. shipping fleet was maintained for national and economic security, and prices were kept stable. That is, until 1998. Under the direction of lobbyists from large importer and shipping corporations, Congress basically gutted the Shipping Act in a bill called the Ocean Shipping Reform Act of 1998. We stopped legislating shipping as a public utility. Prices went down at first, as promised, but only because all the resilience and safeguards were being cut out of the system. Very quickly, larger companies strong-armed small businesses out of business, service to smaller ports and cities was cut, monopolies arose, prices eventually went up, all backup services, which buffered disruptions, were discarded, ships became enormous, turning loading and unloading at ports into an inefficient feast or famine scenario, boom-and-bust cycles returned, and the fleet of U.S. ships disappeared. Today, just 10 U.S. container ports control roughly 90% of all traffic. U.S. shipping is completely controlled by foreign businesses. U.S. agricultural exporters and others lost access to shipping because the shipping oligopoly made more money returning empty containers to Asia Than filling them with bulk commodities from the U.S. Large importers get better pricing on shipping than independent stores do, encouraging monopolies in all other industries as well. Three Chinese companies make 83% of the world's shipping containers. 82% of the world's container leasing capacity is also concentrated in five players. Altogether, just 16 companies control over 80% of the world's shipping, and they have no desire to fix the current bottlenecks that are producing gargantuan profits for them. Think OPEC, the oil cartel, but for shipping. We set ourselves up for this crisis with reckless deregulation that made the shipping industry inefficient, ineffective, exploitative, and fragile. Oh, and did I mention that this was just one of the Clinton-era deregulation fiascos? It was basically repeated in trucking, rail, telecommunications, airlines, and finance. Remember the repeal of Wall Street regulations that enabled the bubbles that popped in 2008, leading to the longest recession in U.S. history? Oops. Between disasters in Wall Street, banking, transportation, Texas's energy grid, how many examples do we need that blanket deregulation is a bad idea? Suffice it to say, anyone who takes an all-or-nothing approach is a fool. Regulation can, and sometimes does, go too far and become counterproductive. But discernment is key. Regulations exist because very bad things happened in the past, and we decided to put protections in the place to keep them from happening again. So next time someone tells you that all regulations are bad, remember 2008, Texas, clean air and water, and our current supply chain crisis. Perhaps we should consider rolling back some of these changes, yeah? Surprise your representatives by telling them that we should return to the Shipping Act of 1916. In media news, Yang went on Fox Business with Neil Cavuto to talk about forward party and political infrastructure. I love seeing him so often on Fox. That is where he can make the biggest impact right now. Humanity Forward put together an essay on how and why placing work requirements on financial aid is counterproductive, actually making it harder to find employment, which all the data we have from decades of welfare reflects. It's a good one to reference, link below. And finally, Scott just released a new essay in his newsletter, which details a history of Republican support for the child tax credits. He covers how it was created and expanded under both Bush presidencies and Trump, and argues that it would be a massive mistake for the GOP to abandon their support of such a popular, effective policy. Instead, he urges the party to embrace it as a historically Republican idea and make the new child allowance permanent before Democrats can use the promise of doing the same as inducement at the polls. He also includes points on the new CTC benefiting primarily rural areas, cutting bureaucracy, saving money, increasing employment, reducing abortions, and expanding freedom and autonomy. And he's right on all points. It makes for a very compelling case, appealing not only to ethics and efficacy, but to personal political interests. Read it, bookmark it, share it around, especially with conservative friends, and send it to your representatives for them to read and share. Let's make it a battle over who will cement the child allowance first. And that'll do it for today's Yang Daily. Bookmark and share the space debris, shipping regulations, work requirements, and CTC threads. Flood Congress with calls, tweets, faxes, and letters using the easy volunteer contacts below. If you need help, consult the Income Movement Aid Database, the Mission Asset Fund, or United Way, and don't forget to Yang Daily.